morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Manic Manor podcast. This is Mitchie. So for today's episode, we're going to go ahead and dive right into a case that has gained quite a bit of popularity over the last couple of years. Um, We have seen that it's been featured on a bunch of big-time podcasts like Morbid Podcast, and it's also gained quite a few television series from what I could find, especially one here in the last little while that... um, featured Renee Zellweger on it, I believe, uh, The Thing About Pam. And for anybody who isn't aware of this case, this is the case of Betsy Faria. Now we're going to dive right in and talk about who Betsy was as a person because she is the center of all of this, regardless of how the media likes to portray the actual, um, as I would say, the villain in this case, because this woman is just evil fucking incarnate when I tell you about who she is and everything that kind of led up to where we are today with this case. But we're going into Betsy first because she deserves to be remembered in a beautiful limelight because she was a gem of a woman. Betsy Elizabeth Meyer Faria was a mother, wife, and real-time life of the party type of woman, uh, living at the time in Troy, Missouri. She worked in insurance and DJed part-time and was known for her beautiful eyes and outgoing personality and was all around a complete bubbly person who made so many people happy when she entered the room. Um, She had two daughters from a previous relationship. I could not see if she had been married prior or not. But she was a really great mother, and she was always willing to make everybody happy. Like it was said, whenever she would come into the room, whenever she would meet someone, it was like she had known them her entire life because she was just that amazing of an individual. So it was around the turn of the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, that she met her husband, Russ. And... Her bright, bubbly personality is what drew him to her. Um, At that time, she had been working at a gas station. I don't know if she had just decided to take a break from, like, insurance or whatnot, but she was working at the gas station as a means to fund the DJ part-time gig. So, because of how friendly and outgoing she was, Russ became quite a regular down at that gas station, and they got to know each other very well. Now, normally you would think that the guy would be the one garnering up the courage to ask a girl out on a date, but for Betsy, that was not the case. She was this headstrong woman that just knew what she wanted, and so she was the one that asked out Russ. And so they ended up going on one of their first dates at a local casino in town, and For him, he said it was just like love at first sight. Her heart was the biggest and most welcome of anybody he had ever known and not only did he find her beautiful on the outside but she was so beautiful on the inside so he fell for her and he fell hard like we're talking smack dab face on the concrete absolutely in love with this woman and I think that is just so freaking adorable and so beautiful so he took an interest into all of her interests so he would help her out um, DJing and helped her actually um, by providing computerized equipment. So around this time, DJing was not like how it is now. Like you look at 
all of these um, DJs that go to clubs and play their EDM music. Um, it's all computerized now, but back then that wasn't really done. So it wasn't common, and especially in that area of Missouri, we all know how the South is. It seems to be a little bit more behind, especially for that time. But for Russ, he decided that they were going to computerize everything. So they were one of the first people that tried this out, and that was something so new. So it gained a lot of popularity and a lot of attention for the couple. So like I said, around the um, early 2000s, Russ and Betsy got married, and Russ took in her daughters as if they were his own. And over the next decade, Betsy would decide that she wanted to go back to working with insurance as a means to provide for her family, kind of just, you know, settling down and giving them the life that they all deserved. So she went back to work at a state farm in that area. Now pay attention here because this is where she meets someone who she befriends by the name of Pamela Hupp. Sounds very familiar. Betsy actually trained Pam in the insurance field and taught her everything that she knew so they worked together for a couple of years and then I don't know if Pam left or Betsy left State Farm but they ended up losing touch for a little bit of time and I mean that's normal friendships come and go I've got friendships myself where I could not talk to the person for like a year or two and then like you go back to talking and it's like nothing ever happened and sometimes you just lose touch and you never talk again I mean that's just how life is right yeah now, unfortunately, around 2010, Betsy was diagnosed with breast cancer and ended up going through treatments and chemo, and at one point, I believe, she was in remission, and her and Russ, despite, you know, the ups and downs of being in a relationship and everything, they planned, um, you know, like, kind of a celebration of life and everything for Betsy. So they went on the cruise and everything. Um, but eventually, Betsy's cancer had come back, and it had metastasized, excuse me, I kind of messed up that pronunciation there. It had grown, and it had spread into her liver, and it ended up being terminal cancer. So they had only given Betsy, like, I think a couple of months at that point to live. And around the time that Betsy was discovering this news, Pam somehow ended up just wandering back into her life. Um, Pam decided that she was going to be that friend that would, you know, take her to these treatments um, because the plan was that Betsy would go to these treatments. She would, like, kind of stay at her mom's for a little bit to make, like, kind of recoup and kind of recover from, you know, the awful treatments because let's face it anybody that has either been through this or they know somebody have a loved one that's been through this know just how rough chemotherapy radiation treatments all that can be on an individual how sick it can make them especially like with the medications that they have to take in order to do that so Pam so graciously decided that she was going to help Betsy out for all of this now somewhere along the line I guess it was pretty close to the time of the incident that we are going to be discussing. Betsy and Pam had sat down. Now at this time, Betsy had a life insurance policy for about $150,000 back then. Um, I guess with inflation and 
account, like taking into account how things are now, that amount would probably be closer to two hundred thousand. If we're gonna like compare, you know, life insurance policy value, but still back then at the time, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars is quite a substantial amount of money, and at the time, Russ was the beneficiary of that should Betsy pass away. Now, through some talking, I don't know what it was. I don't know if Pam had taken advantage of the fact that Betsy was at a very vulnerable and very weak stage of her life. But through some talking and some sort of convincing, or as she would later on go to say through an agreement, that Betsy ended up signing over the insurance policy from Russ to Pam as the beneficiary. And that was just a couple of days before the incident in question that we are now going to discuss. So now we're fast forwarding to the day of December 27th, just literally right after Christmas of 2011. Betsy had a chemotherapy appointment scheduled at the Alvin J. Seitman Cancer Center in St. Louis. I guess it was Pam that had taken her there for the treatment, and she went to rest up at her mother's afterwards, as per how she was normally doing so. Um, But the thing about it was, was Betsy was initially just going to be staying the night over at her mother's house, and, like, the next morning would be going back home. But for some reason, Pam was adamant on driving her home that day like she was not taking no for an answer so at this point going by Pam's account she said that she had dropped off Betsy at her home at 7 o'clock that day and had left and now Betsy's daughter did try to call her like 20 minutes later but it went unanswered and but since she had had chemo I'm sure her daughter thought you know that she was just exhausted she was sleeping and it wasn't really an unexpected thing that her mom wouldn't pick up the phone now also what had been going on that day was Russ was out uh, either gaming with his friends or watching movies or something along the lines either way like once a week he had this thing where he would go and hang out with his friends and since the original plan was Betsy was staying at her mother's. He didn't need to be home to take care of her. So as far as he knew, she was not home. So later in the evening, I think it was like around 10, 11 o'clock at night, Russ was making his way home, stopped by a gas station, stopped by a local Arby's, and made his way home as per usual. But he could not be prepared for the sight that laid in front of his eyes when he walked through the door. The scene before him was something truly horrific and nothing that anybody should see, let alone the husband of the individual. There he found Betsy laying dead on the floor from multiple stab wounds, an attack so brutal that the object in question still was sticking out of her neck. Now, naturally, Russ is mortified and is immediately on the phone with 911, calling, screaming, crying, thinking that at this point his wife had taken her own life given the circumstances of everything going around her. Um, The audio recording that has circulated around um, social media and everything just shows his voice being completely frantic and terrified. 
and all all you can really get from this is just somebody who is absolutely distraught it's heartbreaking to say the least so when the authorities arrive he gives his alibi that he was over at his friend's house and of course his friends later on do vouch for him and there are there's CCTV footage and recorded receipts showing where he was. So keep that in mind as well because this is going to come as a key factor later on. Now, given that Russ is the spouse and given the situations that we know with all of these crime cases and any kind of murder involving a wife, a girlfriend, whatnot, the spouse is always usually the first suspect that the, the authorities will look into. And he understood that. Russ, even now to this day, says he understands why he was a suspect. He understands that the spouse always has to be looked into. But the authorities, as they looked into it, despite all of this evidence that they had showing that he was not there at this time, they were somehow convinced that he was the one and only suspect, despite the clear alibi. And one of the main factors that came into play for this was a pair of slippers that belonged to Rust uh, that had been dipped in blood, as they, sh as they say. They say that he had walked or something in the blood, but either way there was blood on these slippers the slippers belonged to him and the blood was identified to belong to Betsy now Russ he was clearly vocalizing his innocence in the case but still ended up being charged for murder because looking back at it when they took into the account of Pam Pam painted a completely different picture from what Russ had painted now Russ would admit that the relationship did have ups and downs, but it was just that, ups and downs of a relationship. Pam, on the other hand, came in and painted Russ as this abusive, narcissistic, just asshole type of husband, and even went as far as to say that her and Betsy were having a secret love affair and Russ was so angry when he found out that this might have been the reason that he attacked Betsy and killed her. And for some reason, the authorities thought that that was a pretty credible statement. Now, Russ, on the other hand, said that he had only met Pam maybe half a dozen times, so he wasn't quite sure what she was getting out of this. Now, keep in mind, at this point, he has no idea about this life insurance policy thing that had happened. So, for all he knows, this is just some woman just making up crazy nonsense, and honestly, in my opinion, yeah, he's right. But that did not deter the district attorney from prosecuting Russ and his trial did end up starting in 2013. Now Russ's family clearly believed that he was innocent in this case and something wasn't right so they hired an attorney Joel Schwartz. Schwartz started looking into this case looking at everything and noticed there was quite a bit of suspicious activity. Remember how I said about the life insurance policy? He thought that it was very suspicious, uh, suspicious that Pam became the beneficiary and then just a few days later, Betsy wound up dead. And 
Per Schwartz, this was such an obvious motive for Pam to be involved that it was actually just painful that this was being completely overlooked. Now, for some reason, I don't know what it was, the judge ended up barring the attorney, Schwartz, from introducing Pam as a suspect in this initial trial. The judge sided with the authorities and said that there was no way that there could be a direct connection to this. So it's like that freaking meme going around of I can't see I'm blind type of thing. And this is quite common when you look at a lot of freaking cases in the true crime community. Like how can these people not look at two and two and put it together with, you know, all these precedents that have happened prior? I mean, did she just hide it that well? Was there something of an ulterior motive going behind the scene? But either way, she was barred from being questioned by the defense in this case. Now, he tried his best to testify um, that, you know, Russ had a very strong alibi. And there was video surveillance and, you know, receipts from the Arby's. And it just seemed so clear that he could not have done this. But for some reason, whatever the prosecution at the time did, the jury did not buy it and they found Russ guilty of the murder of Betsy and had initially sentenced him to life plus a 30-year sentence. And it was all because they were never given the, I, the plausibility of another suspect. So the jury, in their minds, I assume could see that there was only one person who could have done this. So any kind of grass straw that they could connect, they did. And he was convicted. Now Pam was at the hearing, and Betsy's family was at the hearing. And for the family, they said it was so bitter bittersweet. Like his sister said, she had waited years for a verdict and felt so sad for Russ, but was so happy that the family could get closure. Or did they, really? Attorney Schwartz was adamant that he was not going to stop, so he went to the Court of Appeals to get a retrial before a different judge, and this judge determined, looking at the evidence that Attorney Schwartz had presented, that Pam could, the Pam, you know, theory could have swayed jurors, and it was incomprehensible how she was not included in this initial thing and was just completely barred from being questioned as a suspect. Now, that judge determined that the evidence could have swayed the jurors, like I said, and as a result, in three years, 2016, the conviction was overturned. So, he was able to get freed. I don't know if it was like a retrial or what it was, but either way, they were finally able to show new evidence and everything and he was finally exonerated but with what with Russ being free now what can they do because now Betsy doesn't have justice and she doesn't have any closure well it just so happened that things weren't going so good in Pam's life and she was causing quite a bit of trouble in the meantime so just a few months after Russ's initial release Pam made a frantic 911 call saying that somebody was in her driveway and she shot him in self-defense. Um, 
This man was identified later as Louis Gumpenberger. He had been a somewhat neighbor of Pam, and he was known to have some mental issues and everything. Now, the investigation into Gumpenberger's murder showed that he had some money, but it showed that the money that he had in his pocket was kind of... Well, not even kind of. It matched, like, serial numbers that belonged to money that Pam had in her drawer. And she was using the thing of he was confronting her and being hostile and trying to steal from her, so naturally she had to shoot him in self-defense. But for this... Uh, the prosecution for this wasn't buying it. So she ends up being charged with the murder of her neighbor. And the prosecution said at this point, the death penalty was definitely on the table for this. And as a result of this investigation, the police, the authorities, turned around and looked into another plausible uh, death that was very suspicious surrounding Pam. And that was the untimely death of her mother, Shirley Newman. She mysteriously fell to her death in 2013 in the retirement home off of a balcony. Now, initially this was looked at as, you know, just an accident. But because of all these things surrounding Pam, like, it just didn't seem possible for death and misfortune to follow one person so much, like, three different people within the span of three years just dying and it was somehow never her fault but she was always around these people so it was very very suspicious and of course with all this new evidence with Betsy's case she was being looked into for that as well but here's the thing, Betsy's case wouldn't get an update until 2021, just a few years ago. So we're going to backtrack a little bit to uh, the trial for Louis Gumpenberger. So Pam entered an Alfred plea at that point. Now for anybody who doesn't know like ling uh, legalese, um, an Alfred plea is basically a plea that states while they do have enough evidence to potentially convict somebody of a murder or any crime in question, the suspect themselves does not necessarily admit to the guilt. So because of that, because of her entering that plea, the death penalty, unfortunately, was taken off of the table in exchange for a life sentence. Now, we're going forward to March of 2020. Russ ended up having a lawsuit against the Lincoln County prosecution and the police that detained him back around the time of Betsy's murder. Now, he did end up settling that lawsuit for $2 million, but we're still not getting any kind of justice for Betsy at this point. Now, like I said, it wouldn't be until July of 2021 that Betsy's case finally would get an update and have an official next move. So in July, the new prosecutor of the Lincoln County, you know, jurisdiction stated that they would be charging Pam Hupp for the murder and accused her of setting up and framing Russ to take the fall so she could get the insurance money. Now, documents would show that the day of Betsy's death, she had been at her mother's house lining up a little with Pam's story, and Pam showed up to take Betsy home. This made Pam the last person to ever see Betsy alive. 
Further documents would state that Pam waited until Betsy was completely exhausted and weak from chemo before she attacked her so-called friend repeatedly on the couch underneath the blanket. And from there, she just staged the scene. She took Betsy's socks, dipped them in blood, began to wipe it all over the house to make it look like it had been a struggle, feeding the fuel that Russ could have potentially had been become aggressive with Betsy learning from this made-up story that Pam told the authorities of them being quote-unquote lovers, which was absolutely T-total bullshit. Then she took Russ's slippers and dipped them in blood after fleeing. Uh, not after fleeing, but she dipped them in blood and then fleed and did her best to remove any trace of her being there. Now, Further, like the further investigations that they did showed that what the initial prosecution looked at with the slippers being the smoking gun, they, they, the slippers were never walked in. So it would be highly impossible for Russ to just walk through that when these slippers clearly were just dipped in blood. And for some reason, the prosecution at the time somehow thought that a woman like Pam was not capable of doing anything as grotesque as that murder scene was. So they just completely took her off the table. So they, the new prosecution stated that they would actually look into the former prosecution for misconduct as a result of this. But to date, that former prosecutor has not actually had any formal charges in regards to this case. And another, another thing that should really be noted is that when Pam was being questioned, um, she was in, you know, the interrogation room and there was a pen that was sitting on the table at the point. At one point in time, the um, investigator had left the room and she had taken this pen and she said she had had to go and use the bathroom. Now, I think there was like some sort of recording or CCTV footage that showed the aftermath of all of this. You can hear like the police officers and everything like screaming for help because there was an attempted suicide. And as a result, you can look online and see pictures of Pam with this gruesome looking kind of scar across her neck. Um, so yeah, that just kind of added fuel to the fire that she knew more than what she was leading on because if you were truly innocent, why would you be taking a pen and trying to like stab yourself in the neck? And another thing that should be mentioned is remember how we mentioned multiple times the $150,000 life insurance policy that has been like a key factor in this case. That life insurance policy was meant to be for Betsy's daughters. And with Pam in charge of it, now they were trying to figure out what happened with this money. Now, Pam had claimed that the policy was changed over to her to ensure that her two daughters would get the money. Then the story changed again, and Betsy was saying that she had a friend of hers that had a daughter that lost her mother and was going to need money. And then once again, the story changed, and Pam said that Betsy wanted her to have all of the money. And 
it she her story was just going all over the place like she initially said she had took 99,700 in December 2013 uh to give to the girls um but what happened with all that extra money and then she said oh the girls hurt her feelings because in t uh, 2013 she was sued by them to get the money so she just decided that they didn't deserve any of that money and what was so bad was through all the legal proceeding and everything I don't think these girls ended up ever actually like winning the case they never got you know even the funds from her mother's life insurance policy so Pam pretty much made off with $150,000 from Betsy's death. Now, as a result of all of this, the girls would mention, you know, their relationship with Russ was extremely strained. Their family was completely broken, all from the actions of this woman. Um, and things just have not been the same for them. And with the series coming out regarding this the girls had mentioned that it's extremely triggering for them to have to relive over and over again what happened to their mother and it's truly sad and my heart goes out to them and I just can't even fathom you know the pain that they have to feel knowing all of this and then having to watch it be publicized in their face again and again now to date um, I don't think Pam has actually gone to trial over Betsy's case. Um, Pam's attorney initially that she had ended up passing away from a heart attack, so that delayed proceedings. Um, COVID had delayed proceedings and everything, so to date, as far as I know, Pam has not gone to trial, so there still is no true justice for Betsy, but this case has gathered so much attention that maybe, just maybe, we can get Pam put behind bars at the very least. I don't even know if they will have the death penalty on the table for Pam at this point. But that is the case of Betsy Faria. And it's truly a disheartening and sad case because it just seems like at any every any and every turn like law enforcement was letting people down and it was just lie after lie and just greed just plain old freaking greed and taking advantage of somebody with a very good heart to get what they wanted so thank you guys for listening to this case today i know it's been a while since i've done an update or an upload or anything but thank you guys for sticking by and listening if you have any thoughts or any input that you would like to do for this case, feel free to contact me at manicmanorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out on Facebook or Instagram, Manic Manor Podcast. Um, I'm starting up a YouTube channel as well by the same name, Manic Manor Podcast. Um, I've only got like two or three videos uploaded there now. And as usual, if you feel so inclined, we do have a Patreon, but it is not necessary for you guys to contribute anything to that. Um, but yeah, that is it for today, and I hope you guys have a wonderful week, and just stay happy, stay healthy, stay strong, and we'll see you in the next episode.